And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he is the Ben Gardner's head in the boat to my Gwyneth Paltrow's head in the box, Perry Cyber. <laughs> I think that's a tie. I'll take that. Yeah. That's good. Uh, those are actually two bad movie surprises that you would not want to come across. <laughs> Uh, and, and those are my weak attempt to tie it into the fact that this week, Perry and I are talking about times we were surprised by the movies. And I'm excited to get in this conversation. Um, the reason we are doing this right now, this episode, is because we have a surprise of our own coming July 21st, which is just a few days away. We are going to be co-hosting Secret Cinema at the Maple Theater on Thursday, July 21st at 7.30 p.m. Show up, take your seat. You do not know what you're going to see until we tell the people to hit play and put Dirty Grandpa right before your eyes. <laughs> it's, not, it's not Dirty Grandpa, people. I promise. Not dirty, I promise. Not, it's not, not Dirty, dirty Grandpa. grandpa. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this, Perry. Me too. Me too. It was it was fun to to land on something and to know we could get it and to uh, to present it to people who are willing to take that kind of uh, that kind of gamble. I love I, I anybody who would turn out for something like this is very cool. Yes, I, I'm 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 excited. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm really excited. Uh, you can go to the mapletheater.com and purchase your tickets. We'll put the link in the show notes. If you are there, please come up and say hi. Um, yeah, Perry. I, I think it, it's. Basically, what people know right now is that it's a movie that's going to take. It was made after about 1967. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's about all the Maple Theater will tell you. Exactly. But I think you have a little hint, Perry, that you can uh, help narrow it down. Uh, like last week, uh, or the last episode, I should say. I think of this as doing this weekly, even though I know oh, we do not do longer. this weekly. <laughs> Our last episode, we mentioned that one of the people in the movie we talked about is in the movie that we will be showing. Uh, And I will say that the same is true of this episode, that uh, one of the movies we talk about, one of the, and this time I'll say one of the stars of the movie we're talking, one of the movies we're going to talk about today in today's episode is, is, uh, is a prominent cast member in the movie. We, We will be showing at Secret Cinema on Thursday, the 21st. Thursday the 21st. Pick, get your tickets now and come say hi. Yeah. Please How come are you say doing? hi. How are I'm, you doing, Gary? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, I am alone at home for a long stretch of time here due to people being away, <laughs> my family being away. And so I've just been, uh, I've been vegging out in front of the Criterion channel, more or nice. less. So nice. that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's good for me. That's, that's, that's as healthy as it can get for me if I can't be around other people. That's not a bad place to be. Um, hey, Chris, I, what's up? I, I'm I'm home by myself for about an hour and a half, um, which is about what I can ask for these days. Um, but no, we're doing good. Uh, we've done a lot of travel in the last few weeks for work and vacation. So now we're home for a bit and it feels good to be home, feels good to be getting back into routines, um, actually being able to have some time to watch stuff. I'm very excited because as soon as we are done recording this and I put my daughter to bed, I am going to start watching the final episodes of Better Call Saul, 
which nice. start back up tonight, and uh, I'm excited about that. But you've been home by yourself. I'm sure you've had a lot of time to watch TV and movies. What have you been watching, Perry? Well, I was going to share actually one when I wasn't alone. So Tess, my youngest, um, a few years ago, started to develop a taste for horror films. And she likes horror films mm. that have some humor in them. And she likes them to have some, some, they need some message. Like she's not in it for the scares. Okay. She, she likes, she, uh, this all started when she, uh, when she saw Get Out. Like she okay. really liked Get Out and wanted to know more about horror movies at that point. And since then, uh, she she fell madly in love with Rosemary's Baby. She loves that movie a ton. Uh, and we're always looking for stuff, you know, in that in that pocket. And there's uh, there's something I've always been wanting to show her, and I finally got it in front of her uh, before she had to leave for this uh, this little trip she's on. Uh, I showed her David Cronenberg's The Fly. Oh oh. Now. I'm going to go out on a limb and say one of those great film critic things, right? I'm going to argue that David Cronenberg's The Fly is the greatest remake in movie history. Like, is there a remake that so advances on the original while still retaining the heart of the original? (laughs) Even if it's not obvious, it's not paying homage in any way to it, but it is not like it's not peeing on the memory of the original. It just is this new thing. That is so glorious and so disturbing and such a great, it it is such a great uh, tale of uh, psychosis, a tale of obsession. It is a great monster movie. I forgot how good the effects are in that movie, how practical they are and how Cronenbergian they are, how disturbing they are, how creepily biological they are. Uh, it's such a it's such a good movie. It's a perfect script. Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis are both uh, excellent in it, and it has this amazing thing that I'd forgotten about, or you know, I didn't think about it at the time. It's not that I'd forgotten about it, but I mean, I, I saw that movie when it was out. I loved it at the time, uh, and always thought it was a great Cronenberg film. I just hadn't seen it probably in twenty five years. Uh, and you know, as I've gotten older, and I think about how stories are put together, this has the rare thing of a bad guy who turns out to not be a total bad guy, and that's a hard—that's a hard <laughs> twist to take, man. That doesn't happen in movies often. You're really encouraged to hate the guy that ends up trying to do the right thing, <laughs> and that's—that's that's another really cool element that I'd forgotten about. So yes, if it's been a while, or if you've never seen it. David Cronenberg's The Fly. I don't believe it is streaming for free anywhere at the moment, but it is it is rentable cheap from Amazon. It's been a while since I've seen that one, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Uh, I think ever since I saw Crimes of the Future, I, I've been thinking I need to go back and rewatch The Fly because, <laughs> you know, that that's kind of I, I do. And I, I think I said when I talked about Crimes of the Future, I prefer non-goopy David Cronenberg. Maybe except for the fly. The fly is pretty goopy. That one I remember. Goopy. That that one got under my skin pretty good when I saw that. Um, because it is that weird mix of it's not just scary; it is heartbreaking and the the love story in there you really buy like that 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 works for me. And I remember being very unsettled and just kind of shaken by that one. And I need to go back and see that again sometime. I did a big Cronenberg redive uh, earlier this year, late last year for, uh, for the other podcast I sometimes show up on. Uh, and I didn't revisit the fly and it was interesting to see it again after, after revisiting uh, Videodrome, especially. And you can see where it's, 
it's sort of where he perfected that strain. And you can see where it leads from that to it's not goopy, but the the sheer psychological horror and terror of Dead Ringers, which is my favorite Cronenberg film. <laughs> like you can you can see him uh, 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 progressing, maturing. Sounds like a terrible word for this. That's not what I mean <laughs> at all. He's he's evolving. Evolving is the word I want for the fly, <laughs> uh, which he has been from the beginning of his career and and had has continued to well after Dead Ringers. I, I will have to check that out again. Maybe around Halloween will be a good time to do that. Yeah. Um, well, what I about you, Chris, what have you been watching? Yeah, my my what I've been watching is also a family pick, but because my kids are ten and six, it was not the fly. Um, but I dare say maybe it was just as disturbing to them as it would have been if they'd watched the fly. Um, <laughs> this is a movie I'd never seen before. It, it's it's a nineteen eighty seven animated film that my wife loved i had never seen oh yes i know what you're gonna talk about i saw this post from you yes called the brave Brave little Little toaster Toaster. um my wife again like i said she loves this movie loved it when she was a kid and was Uh really frustrated that it is not streaming anywhere it's not on disney plus even though they have like two or three Brave Little Toaster sequels on Disney+. Plus. Um, so she ordered the DVD and was very excited to sit and watch this with the kids. And th- it was one Saturday night. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll sit and watch it with you guys. Um, and, and I was kind of rolling my eyes at the title because a Brave Little Toaster is not how I want to spend my Saturday night. Um, <laughs> and I, this is if you haven't seen it, and I'm sure there are many, many people who have not seen or heard of this movie, uh, it is about household appliances that are alive when their master is not around and they decide after the master leaves, they want to go to the big city and find him so they can have some purpose in their life. Um, If that sounds very familiar to another very big movie, there is a reason. Um, This is a movie that involved a lot of people who would go on to be really instrumental in Pixar's early days. And there is a lot of kind of proto-Pixar in this movie. Um, I was expecting very lighthearted hijinks in this movie. Um, I have a list here, though, of some things that happen in this movie. Uh Uh-huh. That made me really think about whether I should be showing this to my kids. Number one. Number one. An air conditioner is so despondent about not working any longer that it tries to kill itself. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm having flashbacks to the beginning of Toy Story 2. Yes. Number two on your list. Number two, the brave little toaster refuses to give a flower a hug. The flower is so dejected that it wilts and dies. <laughs> the toaster has a nightmare about starting a fire that kills his master, who's a child. And then dreams that an evil clown comes in to spray it with water before dreaming that forks are rammed into it and then that he's going to jump into a bathtub while still plugged in. The birth of Forky. Yes. Okay. Forky. (laughs) Number four. Uh, Number four. (laughs) A lamp is struck by lightning and its bulb, which is basically its brain, blows out. Very Cronenberg. Yeah. Very Cronenberg. Uh, number five, five is a vacuum eats its own cord and has a seizure. <laughs> I forgot that. That does happen. <laughs> yes, it does. Not. Number six is that 
a repairman takes the appliances back to his shop and removes the motor, which is its heart, from a blender and then tries to gut the radio. <laughs> there's an entire there's, there's se- nothing you're telling me that makes me not want to revisit this. Yeah. There is an entire sequence at the dump where a bunch of cars sing about the happiest days of their lives before they're smashed into cubes and die. (laughs) And this, you know, I'm joking. This is a movie that is very dark for kids. And my, my daughter is six and she was having some issues. I actually, though, when I say that I liked this movie, this is a movie that it, it, like I said, you can see the early days of Pixar forming. It is, very much interested in giving these appliances human-like qualities and fears. That's the big thing. It's not just that they're, you know, acting like humans. It's that they have fears of mortality and being worthless and being kind of left to rot. And it, you can see how a little bit of dusting off this story and playing around with some of the characters. And I, I think getting some voice talent that worked really well together it just clicked into Toy Story down the road. Um, and, and so it's it's an interesting movie. My kids liked it. Um, I think the animation, it, you know, it's not, it, it's not exactly a Disney movie. It's owned by like a third party company. So it's not, you know, what you'd expect from that era of Disney, which was going through like Little Mermaid and stuff like that. But it's, it's really interesting animation and, and the character designs are cool, but it's really interesting as a movie where you see, oh, basically the future of maybe the best animation company ever is getting its start there. <laughs> I had uh, dear friends in high school who loved this movie. So I saw it a couple times, literally when I was in high school and I have not seen it since I'd forgotten much of that. It all came back when you started listing them, <laughs> but I hadn't, I have not thought about this movie in any real capacity in 30 plus years. So now you've made me kind of intrigued. I might have to borrow the DVD. <laughs> you're op- You're welcome to it. Um, no, what's interesting now, it's just hitting me too. I saw this the night after I actually took my kids to see the newest Pixar movie, uh, Lightyear. And I will say Brave Little Toaster, I still think about and I have a reaction to. I have forgotten most of Lightyear, I, which my kids enjoyed, but they're 10 and 6 and, you know, it's flashing lights and they're going to enjoy that. But yeah, it, it is kind of interesting to see the early, like, what can we do with this form of Pixar? And then, you know, 30 years down the road, oh, we can do anything. Let's just, um, you know, make a movie about the toy going to space, whatever. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, but that is the Brave Little Toaster. You can purchase it on Amazon for like 10 bucks. So uh, go ahead and do that. I recommend that. I recommend that you show it to your kids during the light of day um, <laughs> and not at night. So, yeah, those were some good what we're watching. Uh, much better than talking about some of the recent releases, you know, I, I've been seeing. Yeah, I don't need to say much more about Elvis. Yeah, yeah, and I do not need to mention Thor Love and Thunder, which I enjoyed, but it is a Marvel movie. And all I need to say is it is a Marvel movie and you know if you're going to see it or not. Like, yeah, that, that's basically the only review. And I will tell you that if you have, if you are, if you like Baz Luhrmann, the first 20, 25 minutes of the Elvis movie is excellent. And then you can walk out. All right. You don't need anything after that. It's 20 it's, minute it's movie. an outstanding opening 20, 25 minutes. Everything. If Baz Luhrmann's going to make an Elvis movie, that's exactly what I want. And then there's, they, he gives me that and then there's two more hours. So you would say you were not surprised by that movie. 
I was not surprised. I was I was surprised how much I liked that opening 20 minutes. Okay. But otherwise, the problem is they stop trying to surprise you after that. That's okay. where that's where it's a bummer. We like being surprised, don't we, Chris? We do like being surprised. And that's why we're going to move on to our main section tonight. And we are going to talk about movie surprises. And of course, we're tying this into the fact that we're going to surprise a crowd of dozens at uh, Secret Cinema in, in just a week with a movie that they don't know what it's going to be. And it got me thinking, like, going to a movie and being surprised by something is one of the greatest things about going to the movies, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't know, you could go any way with that. I started thinking about that, like, you know, there are movies where the actual plot has surprised me. There are movies where I've gone in and my expectations have been so kind of upended that I, I walk out kind of shocked. There are new voices you are surprised of. So what we decided to do, we haven't done this in a while, uh, was to pick out three times when we have been surprised by the movies. And really the parameters were pretty wide open on this. So I'm curious, Perry, before we jump into your picks, how did you choose this? Like what, what parameters did you set? You pitched this idea and I, I, I responded to me as like, I think this is a great idea. And uh, uh, the only parameter I set uh, and that I asked you to do the same, I don't know that you did or not, but I hope you did, is that I wanted this to be good surprises. Yes. Yeah, I don't absolutely. want this to be complaining about things that surprise us in a bad way from people. I don't want, uh, this is not about our heroes letting us down. This is about something happening that we truly didn't expect or didn't, uh, didn't feel we would see. Uh, and I'm, I was, I was, I came up with two instantly. And uh, the third one I decided on just because it's a movie I don't think I've ever talked about on the show. And I like it a bunch and it absolutely fulfills this, this, okay. uh, this very niche definition. Yeah. And I kind of took the same thing. I, I started to think about, I, I wanted to at first talk about maybe like jump scares was the first thing I, I originally thought of. And, and that's why I talked about the Ben Gardner's head at the beginning was that was the one that actually jumped to me as a sequence that still kind of surprises me, even though I've seen Jaws like hundreds of times. But then I just, I, I started thinking, I'm like, well, maybe there's some narrative ones, but there's there's actual experiences where I've been surprised. And I, I don't know, I had a hard time culling it down after a bit. So maybe we can talk about some of those at the end. Um, but what did you, what did you start off with? What's your first pick, Perry? So I ended up, uh, and I realized after I had the three, why I like this scene, I, I ended up picking a time an actor surprised me, a time a director surprised me, a time a writer surprised me. Okay. So I'm, I'm covering the gamut sort of that way. And the first, uh, the first thing I want to talk about is Julia Roberts. And I don't think I've ever said that in my life. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think those, so, that name has been uttered on this uh, podcast. You know, uh, uh, Julia Roberts is, is sort of, you know, she is the first I'm pretty sure she's the first female movie star that I have been aware of the entire time. I watched her ascendance. Okay. I have seen it from the beginning. It's like how I talk about how much I love Soderbergh because I was 15 when Sex, Lies, and Videotape happened. He was the first great director that I recognized as great and got to follow their whole career and loved. I'm not saying I recognized Julie Roberts as great or loved her immediately, but you know, it was three films and she was a superstar from Pretty Woman. And I, I saw Mystic Pizza in the theater. <laughs> so I, I was aware of Julia Roberts from the beginning of Julia Roberts. Uh, and she was an, she's an actor who by the late 90s, I had, uh, you know, I, I, I absolutely admit to thinking she's, she's a movie star. She's holds the screen. She is the working definition of that. Um, but I had begun to loathe her off screen <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Uh, the, the highlight for me will always be the 
awarding Denzel Washington the Oscar and before saying his name saying, I love my life. I, I found her in <laughs> a great period of time. Uh, probably the way many people feel about Gwyneth Paltrow now. Uh, that said, so I was super excited to see Mike Nichols' adaptation of Patrick Marber's Closer. Closer. Sorry, Closer. Uh, 2004, I want to say. I think that's the right year on that. Uh, it's the kind of play that I love. It's for people who are so emotionally intimate with each other that they can hurt each other constantly. I am a sucker for this type of story. I've talked about this. Uh, uh, Clive Owen is superb in it. Jude Law is superb in it. Natalie Portman is superb in it. And what shocked me beyond all recognition is that Julia Roberts is superb in it, giving the kind of performance I didn't think she was capable of, especially at that point in her career. It is an absolutely vulnerable performance. She is willing to make herself unlikable and a victim. And that is something I didn't think she was interested in doing anymore. Uh, it turns out, you know, as, as, as I think, I'm pretty sure I've said before, if you can get Mike Nichols to direct you, do it. <laughs> there, is, there has never been a better actor's friend in the history of the movies or the theater than Mike Nichols. He will get the very best from you uh, and you will love him forever because they all seem to. Uh, panned out by how well she does in Charlie Wilson's War a few years later, again, for Mr. Nichols. Uh, but this is a performance that is, I don't want to say it's brave, it's just, I, I truly didn't think she was capable. I sat there slack-jawed at how weak and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and just, not mousy, but unglamorous she was willing to be. And not being purposefully ugly. I don't mean that either. I don't mean Charlie's Throne and Monster, where it's some sort of, I don't recognize her going for something drastic. Just playing a normal human being who is been made frail by their fears and insecurities. I, it's a great performance. I don't think she's come close to doing anything like it since. Just in that tenor, she's given good performances since. I don't think she's a bad actress. I just think by that point, she had been sailing on being a movie star and had been doing her best to maintain that and entertaining herself by being in the Oceans movies and having George Clooney as a friend and doing these one-off weird things to keep herself entertained. This was work. And it's really great work from everybody. I like the movie a lot too. So yes, Julia Roberts in Closer. In Closer it was the first surprise that came to mind for me. That's really good. I I honestly am not sure whether I've seen this movie. Oh. I, I feel like it was out at that time when I saw everything. And I know enough. I know it is the movie where um, Natalie Portman is a stripper, correct? Yes and no. And, but that's, it's- that's, that's really reductive. Okay. There's a scene where she's working at a strip club. Okay. Let's just call it that. But I, I and and I think I know like it is what it is very dialogue heavy and they're like ripping each other apart. Yeah, it's based but on a play, I, a really great play. Maybe I didn't see it though. Oh, maybe I need to get around to that. Might be yeah. a good date night movie. Don't show that to your kids in the daytime either. <laughs> don't 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 do it. Don't. We'll wait a few years on that one. <laughs> That's How good. about you, Chris? What's your first? So I went probably a different direction on some of these. The first one I wanted to go with was, could I think back to the first time I was legitimately surprised in a movie theater, like kind of knocked off my seat? Um, because I think when you're a kid, there is that idea where everything is magical. So you kind of just accept it all at once. But there is usually that moment that kind of knocks you off your access, which I think kind of forms you as a film goer. And the more I thought about it, I thought about 
one movie in particular that isn't even a particularly great movie, but I feel like the surprise just broke my little kid brain so hard. And I can even see how it affected the type of movie viewer I am today. I'm going to talk about Back to the Future Part 2, Perry. <laughs> I did not expect that. <laughs> no, no, it did. Um, Back to the Future Part 2, 1989. So I'm about 10 years old. Um, I don't think we've ever really talked about Back to the Future on this podcast. It is a roast beef and mashed potatoes movie for me. It is pure comfort food. I love Back to the Future. It is one of my all-time favorites. I, I just think it's so much fun. Um, and, and as a kid, I really liked it, you know. So my dad, one rainy Saturday afternoon, took my brother and I to go see Back to the Future Part 2. Movie was fine. Um, I probably liked it a lot more at 10 than I like it at 42. I hope so. um, I, I do think in terms of a movie, it, it does have a final act that is one of the most clever twists on a sequel I've seen. <laughs> um, but I think I was too young at that point to be surprised by that. What I do remember is very vividly this sense of dread as the movie was near the end and Doc Brown's in this DeLorean trying to rescue Marty, trying to get to him. There's this lightning storm. All of a sudden, lightning strikes the DeLorean. DeLorean blows up and Doc is seemingly gone, right? And so I'm sitting there going, oh, oh, did Doc die? What's going on? Can that happen in a movie? And then, you know, if you if you haven't seen the movie in a while, this uh, Western Union truck pulls up and tells gives Marty a letter that they've been waiting like 30 years to give. No, like 80 years to give him. And it's Doc's alive and he's in the Old West. And I'm sitting there starting to think, oh, my gosh, is there still another hour or so of this movie left? This is so cool. So Marty goes and finds 1955 Doc. And I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And all of a sudden the movie stops and it's to be concluded. And my brain breaks because (laughs) I'm like, wait, they can do this. Like you can, you can just stop the movie without telling me what happened. Like it it can keep going. And then right after that preview starts for back to the future part three, which I did not know was coming because I was 10 and I did not read premiere magazine at that time. Uh, (laughs) and, And I just remember it was this sense of, holy shit, this movie did something totally new that I didn't know that could happen. I didn't know the story could extend past that one movie. Um, Because sequels at that point, like to our younger listeners, they weren't the ongoing story they are now, unless it was like Star Wars or something. They would basically come back and do the same thing. Um, And this was telling me, though, there's more to this story. And by the way, we've already made it and it's already there, which is something you cannot drop that surprise on an audience today unless it was like a surprise Netflix release or something like the film world is so well covered that you couldn't surprise and say, Hey, there's a sequel coming. We've already made it. Uh, it's six months away. And I just like, that was so cool to me. And that probably informed a lot of why I started watching things like entertainment tonight or reading entertainment weekly was I wanted the news on that or why I'm even pretty forgiven, forgiving on the Marvel movies, because there's this childlike part of me that just loves these <laughs> ongoing stories to know, Oh, there's another one coming. And yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not the most brilliant surprise. It's not the, you know, the, the greatest thing that rocks cinema, but it, it blew my 10 year old brain. <laughs> See that? That fits. Yeah. 
Yeah. So like what? That. Yeah. How do you stand? What is what is your Back to the Future opinion? We've never talked uh, about that. The first one is um, I sort of think objectively like a perfectly structured script. Mm-hmm. Like you should study that script. If you if that if story construction is what is more important to you than anything else, that's kind of flawless. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. really great. I, you know, Zemeckis is uh, was a really wonderful director. <laughs> I I think he stopped caring a long time ago about the things I'm interested in the director doing. Uh, he decided to become a technician, but but his early films through that and even up through. Even Castaway has some absolutely brilliantly directed sequences. I really like Castaway. Uh, I don't love Castaway. I think Castaway's. I think Castaway has script issues, but I. I, I, It's there are beautiful sequences in that movie. Just great visual storytelling in that movie. He is he is my favorite of all the Spielberg proteges. I will say that without without hesitation. Uh, But I this I, I I liked two at the time for the darkness of it. I found three to be two hours. I never wanted to spend it again. <laughs> Not that I hated it, but it was like, I don't, I don't, I don't love this world this much. I don't, yeah. I don't, it's not that great a turn on the Western. So I'm like, there's really nothing here for me to enjoy other than the sheer pleasure of, of uh, Christopher Lloyd. Watching Christopher Lloyd is always a pleasure. So yes. I, that is, that is the, if I ever had to sit down and watch three again, that is what I would focus on. It, yeah, yeah, I I love the first one, and the other two are fine. Like, like they're they're fun. <laughs> I have a good time with them, but it's a lot of there's a lot of nostalgia heavy lifting there. At, at yes, that. yeah. So, Perry, what was your number two surprise? My number two, and forgive me, I can't remember if I've told this story on the show before, and if I have, you're going to have to suffer through it again. Uh, so, so, I there was a moment uh, in college. I, I'm gonna say it had to have been my junior or senior year of college because I was living in the apartment I lived in at the time. So we're just gonna call it '94ish, '95. Would have been post Pulp Fiction, I'm sure. Uh, I had sat down to uh, to watch Reservoir Dogs, okay, for the first time in a while, uh, and uh, I got a call. I think it was probably DM. It was probably my girlfriend at the time, soon to be my wife. And I muted the TV to have this conversation and I'm having the conversation, but my eyes are on the screen and I was surprised, Chris, (laughs) I was blown away because as they say, you remember the opening of Reservoir Dogs, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all uh, sitting around the diner scene, right? And talking about tipping. Yep. Right. So I, you know, and I granted, I was, you know, I was three to four years into studying film. That's what I had been devoting my life to. And, you know, learning the meat and potatoes of how to structure a film visually. For Reservoir Dogs to work, and sorry, people, you've had 30 years now. We're going to talk about, this is a spoiler for Reservoir Dogs. Just hang on, okay? To make that story work, you have to buy that Mr. White, Harvey Keitel's character, the most professional thief of all of those professional thieves would feel so much for one of these other guys that he would break the code, right? The movie falls apart if he won't, if he, if he, if he behaves as he's supposed to behave, nothing happens like it's supposed to happen. This is the, this is the, this is the thing you have to buy. He's so the perfect thief, but he's going to make this mistake. That he, he has developed such a feeling for Mr. Orange, for Tim Ross' character, that he's not going to do the thing he should do. He's going he's to do something else, right? Mm-hmm. 
So I'm watching this sequence play out muted. I don't even have closed captioning on. That film is shot in, in scope. It's two, three, five to one. It's a huge image. Okay. And I will tell you, and you won't believe me, and then you'll go back and watch it. During that entire sequence, if the film is not slowly panning across everybody, every single shot is a single. No one shares the screen. Okay. It is it is a close-up of Steve Buscemi and nobody else. It is a close-up of 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 uh, take your pick. <laughs> Uh, uh, Chris Penn and nobody else except Orange and White. Oh, really? Tim Roth and Harvey Keitel shared. It's a double. Almost with the exception of when Harvey Keitel, when Mr. White goes face to face with Joe over the stupid thing they're going to have to fight about during that sequence, you always see them together. And I realized this is, I was surprised at having, you know, at the time, I don't think people remember how much you had to sort of defend quentin tarantino for the violence <laughs> it was a big issue at the time uh and after spending a couple of years doing that it was amazing to see oh my god no he's a director he's a mm. meat and potatoes director he knows exactly where to put the camera not just to make an effect not just to be cool but how you have to do it to psychologically tell that story. He had to draw a connection between those two, and he does it visually just by having them share the screen. In the sequence in which people are talking about nothing, you're right, they are talking about nothing. But if you watch it, you're learning everything you need to know. It's a really amazing sequence, and if you've never done it, go put on Reservoir Dogs and mute it and watch that sequence. I will put it on with the kids and watch it right after <laughs> You can do that with that opening sequence uh, you could, if you mute it. You could open totally it. Totally acceptable. It. Absolutely, yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen Reservoir Dogs. I mean, I think, what was the year that came out? Like 92 or 90, something? Uh, it's 91, 92. It's somewhere in there. I, 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 I can't. It's somewhere in there. Okay, so I would Probably have caught 92. up. Yeah, I would have been 12 or 13 when that came out. Uh, so I think I caught up with that. Like it was probably right around the Kill Bill time is probably when I saw it. Um and it's probably ripe for a rewatch for me. It's uh, it's surprising in a lot of ways still to this day. <laughs> it's surprising for different reasons now. It's still good. It's hard. It's got it's got some stuff that's hard to defend, but it's pretty good. I really, I'll, I'll still defend it. I will. All right, all right, all right. For my second one, I, I had a hard time with this because there were a few that I wanted to pick, and then I'm like, it's too obvious. It's it's not a surprise, you know, if it's the obvious pick, uh, it, or I don't know if I feel comfortable admitting this. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, so so my, one of my first picks was going to see Fast Five, which I had every expectation was going to be an awful movie. And I loved it. I thought it was a ton of fun. But I'm like, yeah, everyone likes Fast Five. And then I thought, you know, I'd really like to talk about Mad Max Fury Road, which is surprising in the fact that it is a fourth movie in a series that's been going on for years, directed by a guy in his seventies and it's awesome and it's badass. But here's the thing. I wasn't really surprised by Mad Max Fury road because by the time it started coming out in this area, the buzz from can and everything had already started to filter. And you kind of had a feeling like this might be good, but my thoughts did kind of stick with the idea of Tom Hardy in a car. Um, And so I want to talk a little bit about a movie that came out the year before uh, called Locke. Yes. Um, which is a movie that I haven't seen since this viewing, 
But I, I feel like sometimes the settings in which you see a movie and what your expectations are play a big role in setting up that surprise. So I can say I saw this on a screener right around Christmas time. And I remember that because it was the day before we were supposed to go do the Detroit Film Critics Society screenings. It was nighttime. I had to go, or I didn't have to go. I wanted to go to a Christmas tree lighting with my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. And we had a great time. We had hot chocolate and we come home and my wife's like, why don't we watch Rudolph and Frosty and all that stuff? And I was like, I have to vote on movies in the next few days. So I'm not going to be able to do that. And it put me in a bad mood. And I'm sure. like, I'm like, I'm just going to pick the shortest movie out of my screener pile. Pop it in this little crappy portable DVD player I had and sit at my kitchen and table and get it over with so I can at least say I saw this movie. The movie I picked out was Stephen Knight's Lock, which is a movie that as soon as it started and I realized what it was going to be, I'm like, I'm going to get 20 minutes into this and stop it, right? Because it is a movie that is literally Tom Hardy in a car on the phone the entire movie. Yeah, alone. Tom Hardy alone in a car. He is, he is the yes. only face on the screen the entire movie, I believe. I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Uh, there are other voices. There are people he's talking to, including Tom Holland, who went on to be Spider-Man. Indeed. Of course. Indeed. But, but and, and when I say it's a one-location, one-man movie, it's not even like it's phone booth, right? Where there's an assassination attempt he's got to stop. This is a story of a man who has made a big personal mistake. Uh, he has had an affair with a woman. She has gotten pregnant. And we're following him in the car as he is going out to be with her when she gives birth because he has swore he was not be like his father. And the whole time he's on, on this ride, his work is falling apart and his marriage is falling apart. And that is the movie. And I wanted to do my due diligence get through about 20, 30 minutes and then say, fine, I'm going to watch Rudolph. I watched that entire thing, not prying my eyes from the screen. Um, (laughs) And I I still, to this day, I mean, I think the direction has to be really good. If it's keeping you focused on one guy, the entire time, the movie, the filmmaking is doing something right. But I keep thinking about Tom Hardy, who I had not seen in anything except for maybe inception at that point. And the way he is just commanding the screen, he is not, you know, he's not Tom Hardy like you think of where he's big and demonstrative. He is, he's quiet and he's thinking things through. And he is this guy who is so used to controlling things that he thinks he can hold on to control of the way his life is falling apart. And it is riveting. It is one of the best performances I have seen. And that movie just stuck the hell with me, you know, I can watch Rudolph anytime. I, I sat and I watched him to the to the end of that drive. And uh, that movie shocked the hell out of me because it was able to rivet me on a tiny screen in a bad mood because it was just Tom Hardy acting so well and getting me invested with this guy's plight. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, that sticks out as one of the great surprises. He's um he's like he works at he's a he's a he's in construction like he's a yeah. not like he works he, he like he owns a construction company yeah like a four and there is a, a, a fifteen minute it feels like conversation about cement mm-hmm. that is riveting like I, it's the it's my favorite sequence of the movie because 
for all with the emotional stuff to me is almost a little too obvious. Like when he's sitting there talking to his dead dad, I'm like, all right, well, oh, I forgot is, about is, that. <laughs> this is very playish. Yeah. Like this, you're is, right. So okay, and that's... this, but but and I like the movie. Don't get me wrong. I, I and. I only remember being bothered by that because I'm agree with you. Everything else is so good. Like when it sticks to committing to just being in that car in real time, it's, it's really great. And yes, it makes, I'm riveted by concrete. They're getting into <laughs> technical explanation of concrete that I don't understand at all, but I understand how much he knows and cares and how important this is. <laughs> and I'm, I'm there. So yes, brilliant directed and a really good, a really good performance too. Yeah. I like that film. I like that film a lot. I love Stephen Knight. He's a really good writer. Uh, all the way back from boy, if you've never seen Dirty Pretty Things, oh, that's a great movie. That's oh, a great movie. Yeah, directed by Stephen Frears, written by Stephen Knight. Uh, and that movie's 20 years old now. That's a great movie. Uh, and of course, if, you, if you've been watching Peaky Blinders, that's all Stephen Knight. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good choice. Lock is, Lock, is a, Lock is a surprising film. Yes, indeed. It's a very good film. Perry, what's your final surprise? I, this, we, guess what? We have a surprise within the surprise. Is this? A, I, it's not the same movie, is it? No. Okay. Okay. No. Good. But it's it's the screenplay. This is this is the writer that surprised me. Okay. And also getting a giant boost from an amazing performance from Tom Hardy. Oh. There's a movie I I love that nobody saw that was written by uh, one of my favorite novelists. I'm a big Dennis Lehane fan. I okay. like Dennis Lehane a ton. Uh, Dennis Lehane. Uh, wrote a short story that he adapted into this script called The Drop. The, uh, a movie that came out in 20, I want to say 2012 or 2014. It's somewhere in there. It was one of James Gandolfini's final films. He's in it. Uh, it is, it's, a, it's an old-fashioned 40s noir, basically. It's about this sort of dim guy who is working at this bar that is the local bar that's The Drop, where all of the all of the pickups get left there for the, for the main guy to come, the main bad guy to come pick them up. And I picked this because it's the last time I was genuinely surprised by a movie's turn. And I don't mean to say that there's like a big, like pull the rug out from under your thing at the end. Uh, I thought I knew the movie I was watching and I was half right. I was watching a character study. I, I I got fooled and didn't realize till the end exactly what character study I was watching. <laughs> oh. And I was so blown away by this. And I was enjoying the movie so much to that point. It wasn't like, oh, the twist makes it. I was all in on this movie. Anyway, I was enjoying it tremendously. Just it's so lean and efficient and beautifully acted and really well directed uh, that I was just enjoying it. It's this old fashioned 50s, 40s, 50s B movie. And then it takes this turn. I was like, oh, I have been so fooled. Oh, this is so good. (laughs) And I I have admired the film. That's exactly what I want to use ever since. Uh, Nobody knows this movie. This movie disappeared from theaters in no time. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. I don't even know if it's, it's so disappeared. I don't know how readily available it even is. I have a DVD. That's it. I haven't bothered to look if it's still streaming anywhere. The Drop. I highly recommend The Drop. The closest thing I could say is um, if you enjoyed Eastern Promises, check out The Drop. They oh, are, they, they would, they would make a great double feature. They are, they are different, but similar. Very interesting. I, I I've heard of that. I have not seen it. 
Um, I, I'm making a turn because I'm starting to th- rethink my third based on something you said. I am shocked this turned into the Tom Hardy episode. I love that we didn't <laughs> talk about that. Yes, for people at home, please know we don't share the top three ahead of time. No, we don't. This was this was unexpected in in every possible way. I, I was and I was very close to having Mad Max Fury Road on there, except it's such an obvious surprise that it's not a surprise. <laughs> um, you know, I I'm going to I'm going to punt because my third choice was actually a movie we've talked about before. Um, I was going to mention Sarah Polly's uh, Stories We Tell and the mm-hmm. moment where you realize what that movie is. But as you've been talking, you mentioned James Gandolfini. And I have been, I have been reading recently, uh, the, I actually just finished it, The Tinderbox, which is a book that is an oral history of the history of HBO. HBO, yeah. Right? So... I've had I've been reading that and there's obviously a huge section on the Sopranos and there's also a huge section on Veep and Julia Louis-Dreyfus and the movie I've been thinking about a lot that really I, I I've seen it twice but it was definitely it was another screener too that I popped in just kind of whatever let's get this over with this looks harmless uh it is a movie called enough said um which is a romantic comedy starring james gandolfini and julia louis dreyfus um and and i think this was even produced by hbo studios um so like it's a big hbo inbreeding fest there right <laughs> uh, well especially since written and directed by nicole hall of center who directed yeah. a whole bunch of the first season of sex in the city yep uh and this is just a this is a movie about two divorced people who begin dating and there are little hijinks where julie louis dreyfus character is going to see is it her therapist is james gandolfini's ex-wife or it's been a few it's years something like that one. i don't you're right i don't remember the plot machinations okay. i just remember how great the movie is and, and really those those little complications they they don't matter because that's not what the joy of this movie is you just get two really likable lovable performances from julia louis dreyfus and james gandolfini who is not the screaming angry tony soprano it's a reminder of how gentle he can be and how quiet he can carry himself and how charming he can be um i i loved his performance i think this might have been his last starring role before he died and uh i i just i remember being really taken by this and again expecting nothing expecting a another run of the will run of the will one run of the mill romantic comedy uh and this is actually one where it feels real. It feels like two people who are genuinely meeting, enjoying each other's company and trying to work and figure out what a future looks like together, if there is one. And I'm a big Julia Louis-Dreyfus fan, all the way, obviously all the way back to Seinfeld, but I, Veep, uh, even some of the little shows she did in between then. Um, I, I always like her. And this is you know, one of the more heartfelt roles she's had. She she doesn't always play characters with big hearts, um, but she is a very likable presence in this, a very warm presence. And Gandolfini is just, he, he's amazing in this. It, it's just, he's so likable. And I don't know if that was colored by the fact that I probably did see this after he had passed, um, but he's he's just so good in this role and a reminder of like what he could do that wasn't just Tony Soprano. Um, he could be a romantic lead and 
the instant you brought up the drop, it triggered something in my brain <laughs> that was like, that's right. I was reading the tinderbox. I've been thinking about this movie for a long time since reading that. And uh, that was, a, that was a great surprise when I saw that it's romantic comedies are not my favorite genre um, for, for, you know, the reason they're not for a lot of people, they get predictable. They've been played out for a long time. Uh, this is one of the good ones. Yeah. Well, it's good. This is really, it's a romantic I mean, it's a comedy, but it's a it, drama. It's, a it's not structured comedy, like a romantic right. comedy. It is not, you know, it's a, it's a comedy about a romance. It's not a romantic comedy. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's in a, I, I, the only reason this wouldn't, you know, have surprised me is I adore Nicole Hall of Center's work. I don't think she's made a bad film. I think she's made three or four great ones. This being one of them. Uh, I really love Please Give. I think Please Give is her masterwork. That's a, that's an amazing script, beautifully performed. Uh, but that's I, that's a that's an absolutely beautiful film. Anybody who uh, yes, oh yes, if you haven't seen Please Give or Enough Said, by all means, uh, yeah, enjoy two amazing performances and uh, it's just another another perfect script from Nicole Hollis Center. Yes, love her work. Love love that film. Did she Great also choice. do Friends with Kids? Yeah. Um, yes yeah adam scott and i get that one confused with friends with money which she didn't do okay. <laughs> which is like a film she would have done but she, i love lovely and amazing i adore uh she's just great she's just a super talented writer she has uh if if you like woody allen and feel that you cannot support the work of woody allen anymore you should have latched on nicole hall of center about 20 years ago <laughs> she's been doing Woody better than what he's been doing it for quite some time. Hey, you know what? We're wrong. Uh, Is it the other way around? Jennifer Westfeld did friends with kids. She did friends with kids. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's yeah. not as good as okay. Nicole Hall of center's work. Although it's good John Hamm performance. <laughs> yes, it is. So then Jess, she did friends with money, which is Jennifer Aniston. Okay. Which is another good script. Another really good script. All right. Were there any surprises you left off your list? I, I've talked about a few, but I did. I did think about telling. I'll tell this story real quick. Uh, and I, I, and I think I told it before. So forgive me, because we're old men now talking to us through stories we've told over and over. Uh, my dad took me to see the Airplane. Oh, when I was when I was in the theater, or when I was when I was a kid in the theater. So seventy, I was five or six. Okay, six tops. And I don't know why I ended up being an airplane, but I was an airplane. And I don't know if you remember, but airplanes opened with a, a, a spoof about Jaws. Yeah. Where the clouds look like waves and the tail of the plane goes by and the Jaws theme plays that dun 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 dun. And I started crying the second <laughs> this starts. I just out of total terror and fear. And I don't even remember seeing Jaws. That's what's weird to me. I don't remember having seen Jaws at that point, but I, I, I had so cons- absorbed it from the culture <laughs> by osmosis that I knew to be scared of this. And then that plane just takes off in front of you. And I just busted out laughing. That's probably <laughs> the most natural reaction that six-year-old me ever had to be surprised at the movies. I, I read, I, maybe I've, t- I've probably told this story before too, but um, I, a few, about a year ago, I showed my son Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time, yeah. which any given day, my favorite movie. I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> so I was really excited about this, but I was kind of concerned because he was, you know, he been, would have been nine at that point. And I'm like, is this, is he a little young for this one? And, um, you know, he, he did good through most of the movie. And then we get to the end, right? Where they open up the, the arc. And I just kind of warn him, 
buddy, this might get a little bit scary. Uh, just, just let me know if it's too much for you and I'll turn it off. I'm watching and, you know, the ghosts come out. He's kind of like, huh, what's going on? And then the faces start yeah. melting off. And I just feel like the, the purest thing I've ever seen. He throws his head onto my arm, like to bury his face. But then he kind of peels his head away, <laughs> looks at the screen and the biggest laugh that because he could not <laughs> believe this was happening. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, good. The movie worked. <laughs> He's There's not reason- sleeping in our bed. There's a reason, like comics, they call those things gags. Yep. It works. I'm excited. And bring that full circle. I think in the next few weeks, I am showing him Jaws for his first time. And oh, very excited about that. Get ready, man. That's, that's, a, that's a slower ride than people remember. That's not, it's not you know, <laughs> you got you to gotta, you gotta want to be there for that story. He'll be there because I tell him to be there. Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying he can't. I just yeah. I, I think people forget that that movie is not. It's two movies, packed. right? Yeah, it, and it's it's really well, it's not two even movies, two movies. But... It's not action. I mean, yeah, that last yeah. twenty minutes is that last twenty minutes, but before that, there's yeah, it, it's a it's a you know it's a lot of talk about local civics and politics. Oh, he <laughs> loves that. Ten year olds love that. He can't. We're always in on that. Of course, you are. <laughs> what good ten year old isn't? I, I think the only thing I, movie I thought about mentioning that I, I'll also just squeak it out here is, again, it comes down to expectations. And I remember going to see a movie that was described to me as the Ryan Gosling sex doll movie uh, oh, a few years back. Lars and the Real Girl. And, and really just dreading that and thinking, what the hell am I going to see? And being surprised that it's not the greatest movie in the world, but I think it's a very warm and sweethearted movie that I've thought about a lot more than I ever thought I would. Um, there's usually discussions that I have with friends about movies that actually depict a warm and loving uh, church presence. And Lars and the Real Girl actually has that. And I did not expect that when I went in to go see the uh, the sex style movie from the director of Mr. Woodcock. So <laughs> Reasonable. That's a reasonable uh, surprise. Yes, indeed. Well, this is no surprise, but we've reached the end of our episode. Again, Please join us July 21st, 7.30 p.m. at the Maple Theater in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. Uh, If you want to drive, drive. If you want to fly, you can fly. There's Amtrak trains and everything. So uh, Uber. Uber will take you right there. Yep. You can be in Florida and Uber all the way to Bloomfield Hills, too. (laughs) So please, we hope to see you there. Uh, Tickets are available on the Maple Theater's website. Perry, in the meantime, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can hear me every Friday on WLBY on the Luciana Lance Show. And, uh, you know, for a little while longer, you can just hear me constantly just the click as I scroll through my library list on the Criterion channel, trying to decide (laughs) which of the 118 films I've put on that list I'm going to finally get around to before just clicking back and picking something else off that list. Something else (laughs) I hadn't even put on it before, usually what happens. Sounds good. How about you, Chris? Where can we read your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chrisicisms. Uh, you can read my newsletter, Chrisicisms, which comes out a few times every week. Uh, it's at Substack. I'll put the link in the show notes. I've started a new Franchise Friday miniseries on the uh, you know the, the masterpiece that is the Predator franchise. Um, <laughs> And uh, so get to the choppa and read that. Uh, you can also read my reviews of current releases at Cinema Nerds. Uh, and 
yeah, that's probably a good place to stop because you can also like Perry. You can hear me clicking back and forth. Um, actually, no, it's just clicking back and forth on Hulu because uh, Only Murders in the Building and Let Me What We Do in the Shadows are both back now. So uh, my wife and I will be watching those probably in the next few days. Can I make a confession, Chris? Yes. I I've never seen a Predator movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not. Okay, no, wait, 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 wait. No, okay, the first Predator is interesting it is i believe it it's it's not out of any you know i wouldn't watch that i just never have for whatever reason they've always done that i mean part of the reason i'm doing this franchise friday series is i have only seen one predator movie so i i figured i'd I'd watch them all to get ready for the new one that's coming out at the end of the month on hulu so and i realize this is the third time i've mentioned hulu in like two minutes we do not get any kickback from (laughs) disney on that so um nor nor does criterion Yes, yeah, for any yeah. of our constant references to the Criterion Channel, they could. They, they could, you know, they could. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't turn it down. Yeah. Bring those <laughs> contracts to the Maple Theater on uh, July twenty. We're selling out. Nobody's yeah. buying. That's the problem. We're selling out like Kevin Smith, man. <laughs> no, we're going to sell it so much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you next week, Perry. Take care. See you Thursday. Yep.